0: We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Thursday, August 17th, 2023. On today's episode, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor BJ Colangelo.
1: Hi, hi, hiya.
0: All right, BJ. Uh, I was gone all of last week. I, with my wife, we visited uh, Turks and Caicos. We're celebrating our 10 year wedding anniversary a little bit early. So that was, a uh, just a fun little, uh, trip that we planned. And, um, yeah, just a, a really cool country that I'd never been to before. Uh, I actually didn't even know where it was. Like I'd heard people talk about it before, but it's in the Caribbean. So <laughs> if anybody's <laughs> wondering, um, yeah just gorgeous clear blue water uh if you want some pictures and stuff you can follow me on instagram at ben pears we posted some stuff there um i don't i don't really need to go through like a play-by-play of anything because most of the time we just spent like you know drinking and (laughs) sitting on the beach and uh enjoying that whole um you know just a relaxed vibe but there was one cool thing that we did um that i Put a couple pictures up on Instagram of where we uh, had the opportunity to take a jet ski out to a shipwreck. Like, a, I think there was, it was like 20 years ago, a hurricane. Um, basically, like a, a ship was anchored out in the ocean and a hurricane came by that was so strong that it like dragged the ship aground out, you know, miles out um, onto like a sandbar or something. And it was, so stuck that they just left it there. So uh oh now it's it's become something of like a little um you know minor tourist attraction where like it's just this rusted out old ship and you can ride a jet ski out there and climb up on the side of it and jump off into the water and then ride the jet ski away laughing that you did this crazy thing. So uh yeah, it was it was very cool if you ever get a chance to uh you listeners or UPJ if I ever get a chance to you know, go out there and and visit, I would recommend doing that. It's very dangerous that, that uh, particular (laughs) activity. It's like one of those things my wife and I were talking about it afterwards. Like there's no way that they would do that in America that like a company would advertise for such a thing because it's like, they just kind of let you up there on your own and you could, you know, fall through the floor. There's like rust everywhere and very sharp. It's, you know, there's no, uh, there's no, um, you know, American, uh, guardrails or anything that you would expect um from you know a a like a a type of scenario where you pay for an experience or whatever they're they're, they basically just kind of like metaphorically throw you into the deep end up there so uh yeah really fun stuff but um speaking of fun things bj Mm -hmm. you uh you had a a fun little uh interaction (laughs) recently
1: Yeah, uh, after three and a half years of being so careful that it was like a detriment to my friendships and my career, uh, I got COVID. And for those at home listening who do not know this, I am also a pancreatic cancer survivor. So I do not have an immune system. It is all just made by chemicals and injections. So getting COVID uh, is very, very dangerous, but I didn't die. So that's great and i'm very that happy that's truly great yes <laughs> i'm very happy about that um, i'm very happy that i was you know vaccinated boosted you know had had a lot of care around me and people dropping off lots of food and things for me um so that i could you know be be taken care of which was a relief i'm still kind of feeling the effects of it my energy gets zapped uh pretty pretty intently but i'm glad that i have my taste back because i was like licking lemons and putting my whole face in in coffee just to feel something i was seeing how many warheads i could put in my mouth until like the film of my tongue started shredding off from all the sour because i couldn't taste any of it um so, you know, just be be safe out there. It's a lot harder for us to know just how bad COVID is getting again because, you know, the government's not tracking those numbers anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, let let me be your warning to be safe.
0: Yeah, especially. I mean, I, you know, around the time that you got it and even still now, I feel like, you know, a lot more people that I know anecdotally um, are getting it. And like you said, it's just so difficult to track compared to what it was, you know, sort of in the, Mm -hmm. in those early days of the, of the pandemic. But yeah, if you, if you're one of those people who has been like, oh yeah, COVID, like it's not really that much of a thing anymore. I would just recommend, you know, like masking up in public and stuff because, uh, and you know, uh, of course I'm not a doctor, people can do whatever they want to do, but just like, if you haven't been been paying attention really is what I'm saying. Um, you know, pay attention because a lot of people, uh, are, are getting COVID again. Yeah. It's it's not fun. So, um, yeah, that, that's all that I need to say about that, I guess. But BJ, I'm, I mean, you sound great and I'm so glad that like <laughs> that your taste is returning and that you're feeling better and all that. So, um, you know, a lot of people, God, like the, one of the scariest things about COVID to me is like the the long COVID thing. And you're, t- you're yeah. talking about still being, um, you know, winded and stuff like that. And I hope that, that, uh, goes away soon. Cause that's one of the things that people, um, I guess, both long COVID have, have talked about, have, have mm-hmm. basically said is like one of the big symptoms after, after effects of that. Um, but like the fact that you have your smell back and, and taste back and all that stuff is, mm-hmm. is great news. So, um,
1: one day I'll be able to walk around my neighborhood comfortably again, but we're not—we're not quite there yet. But we're working on it. <laughs> yeah,
0: excellent. Okay, so let's get into what we've been reading. You and I have both been reading some stuff recently. Uh, while I was on the beach, I had the chance to read *The Prestige* by Christopher Priest, which, of course, was turned into a movie by Christopher Nolan. And uh, I was curious about this book. I'd, I'd had it, I think, on my shelf. I bought a, like a used copy at a bookstore a long time ago. And I was, you know, I'm always curious, like how. Um, when movies are adapted from books how close they hew to the original story and the prestige the book is really good I, I love the prestige of the movie um, how do you feel about that movie BJ?
1: Um, it's my favorite Nolan film. <laughs> yeah. Okay,
0: good. I think – I wonder if we've talked about that before because I think it might be my favorite of his as well. Um, it's just so – yeah, I, I love the structure of it. I love the character work. I love the the thematics of it. Like everything, you know, the, the aesthetics, everything. It's it's so uh, – it's like one of my favorite movies of all time, I think. Um, but I was curious about the book, and it it, it opens instantly – with characters that are not in the movie at all and like a framing device that's set essentially in modern day. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I was not (laughs) expecting this at all. Um, So I would highly, highly recommend reading the book because there's enough in it. A a majority of the movie is, or I'm sorry, a majority of the book is the same as the movie. There's, there's a lot of like very familiar stuff, but there's just enough interesting uh, additional characters and like that, that uh, framing device that I mentioned and like little twists and pokes and Things that are slightly different that make it like a really, really interesting read and also give me much more, a deeper appreciation for what uh, Jonathan and Christopher Nolan were able to do writing the screenplay for the movie version because they they really like shaved off all of the, you know, what they thought were extraneous or maybe elements that wouldn't work as well in a movie, but they work really, really well in literary form in the, in the book. And most of the book is, um, I think it's called Epistolary, where like it's presented in the form of uh, letters or like journal entries and stuff like that. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. So that, that was a really cool thing. Like it, it, you know, a, a chapter is like, here's Alfred Borden and here's the look into his journal. And it, it sort of goes all through, uh, you know, his, his timeline, that character's timeline. And then it's like, Oh, here's Angier and here's what he was doing. And you sort of like understand the different uh, perspectives of these characters. And like, especially the, well, I think one of the big um, core takeaways that I had from, the book that maybe is not as underlined in the movie is like the idea that you you have no idea what's going on in somebody else's life and you don't know the consequences that you could have. Like the smallest action that you take against someone could ripple out in ways that you have no idea how it could uh, how it could affect or radically change the way that that person, has a relationship with somebody else or anything. I mean, it, it's just, it's one of those movies, or I'm sorry, one of those stories that really just made me like take stock again of a lesson that I've learned a million times, which is just to, to sort of try to be kind as much as you can because you have no <laughs> clue what's going on in the lives of other people, even though you might think you do. So um, yeah, I, I took all of that away from the prestige and really just enjoyed it on like an entertaining level as well. So if you're looking for like a really uh, slick Um, really cool, interesting, uh, thought-provoking read. I would recommend that. What have you been reading, BJ? So I
1: just started Unlikable Female Characters, The Women Pop Culture Wants You to Hate by Anna, uh, I'm going to butcher her last name, and this is a problem because I've been on her podcast, Uh, (laughs) Bogutskia. Um, She also runs the Final Girls podcast, but um, and, and full disclosure, I picked this up because I forgot that probably a year ago she was like hey can i quote this piece that you wrote about the movie promising young woman in my book and i was like yeah of course uh but what i didn't realize is that this book is uh it, it's nonfiction and it is analyzing the the boom of unlikable female characters in film and television and how female characters are no longer kind of beholden to having to be likable mm-hmm. and so it's looking at the different archetypes that exist between like The shrew, the crazy woman, the mean girl, the slut, like all of these quote unquote unlikable archetypes that are attached to female characters, looking at how they've been presented throughout time. Um, It's been really, really fascinating and also really fun because Anna writes with uh, a lot of pop sensibility. Um, So she obviously is a very gifted academic, but she writes in a way where it's very fun um it's very light i think there was a one of the reviews calls it part cultural expose part taylor swift album um (laughs) and that is a really good way to describe it because she's very honest um, and she pulls from a lot of different writers and incorporates their perspectives on these characters and it's extremely nuanced as well uh, because i think that's a big issue we get into and any sort of media criticism is that lack of nuance where she's like, you can have a character be objectively awful, like a terrible human being, and still enjoy their presence on screen. And that doesn't mean the film is, you know, condoning those behaviors. Depiction mm-hmm. is not, you know, is not condoning all the time. Um, and it's it's been really good. I'm about three quarters of the way through right now. Um, It's, it's a, it's a nice, easy read. If you're somebody who's into looking at sort of these cultural, like pop culture analysis books, I highly, highly recommend it.
0: That sounds awesome. I, I, I I talk about this stuff and think about this stuff all the time, but I don't find myself reading very many books on this. I think maybe because it's so ingrained in my like day-to-day life, but I also am fully aware that like there's so much more that, (laughs) that is out there for me to learn about these subjects (laughs) and like ways for me to sort of help shape the way I think about this stuff. And this sounds like a great, uh, I guess, like jumping off point for, um, for a conversation that has been ongoing for a long time. So, uh, that is called unlikable female characters. The women pop culture wants you to hate. So definitely check that out. Sounds great. Um, all right, before we get into what we've been watching, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. All right, so one thing that I watched recently was "Talk to Me." Uh, I mentioned this on the podcast earlier this week. Uh, this is the movie by Danny and Michael Philippou, the uh, horror film that's out. Bj, have you seen "Talk to Me" yet? I love "Talk to Me." This okay. is very up my alley. Yeah, this I, I I you know I didn't love the movie. I, I think the hype going into it was like maybe a little bit elevated to to a place where maybe nothing could have met my expectations because people were mm-hmm. were singing its praises so highly, but still, uh, I found myself like incredibly, um, impressed by the filmmaking and what this, this team was able to do on a pretty small budget. I think it was like less than $5 million. And, um, and just like the, um, uh, the way that, especially that they were able to convey the horrors of an afterworld, this sort of like nether realm without really showing us too much. The, the, Mm -hmm. the, um, the effectiveness of, uh, kind of like, it's not show, don't tell, but it's, it's like just hinting at little things. And, and those hints sort of help fill in the audience's imagination, which is like more scary than maybe what they could have shown us with a $5 million budget, you know? Um, so actually I want to spoil one part of talk to me. So if you've not listened uh, or I'm sorry, if you've not uh, seen the movie yet, just fast forward, just, a, you know, a couple minutes. There's one part that I wanted to highlight specifically. So BJ, the moment where, um, the character's name is Riley is like, um, basically like, you know, he oh got the whole sequence where he like bashes his head into the, <laughs> into all wild. those things <laughs> is like so, um, I, I didn't really jump very much in this movie, like jump scares or anything, but I squirmed so much while I was watching it mm-hmm. because I was like, Oh God, I, I care so much about these characters. And like, this is so um, visceral what they're, what they're doing and making me feel right now. Um, but the moment after he basically gets, um, you know, uh, possessed by the, the demonic forces in this movie. And then the moment that uh, Mia is shown what is happening to Riley or potentially what is happening to Riley there's there's Mm -hmm. this really nice line that the movie walks in terms of like uh whether or not you believe what the otherworldly characters are saying to Mia because they have this um you know potentially um uh not so clear motives and you know there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like manipulation potentially going on there um so you never really know exactly if what she's seeing is meant to be literal or or um you know, just a representation or just an out and out lie. But the moment where she sees what is happening to Riley and uh, there are all these writhing bodies and his face is just sort of like barely peeking up out of this mass. And he seems just like contorted in, in, in so much pain and agony. And it's just this really quick shot. And the, the lighting in the whole scene is very red. Uh, It's basically like, it seems like they could have just gone into any room and drenched it in red lighting and just kind of had people writhing around in slow motion and like it's you know the the practicality of what it took to shoot that is relatively simple you know they didn't have to like design Mm -hmm. an entire hellish you know um art design and uh, art decoration and, and production design and all that it's it's very uh tactile and simple but that idea of the that character being trapped in there and just being like slowly um you know worn away <laughs> for eternity and and like tormented in that way was so effective to me and and i was just like blown away by how um how incredibly efficient the filmmaking was in terms of like getting that idea across so that that i think was my favorite aspect of this entire movie but um i, I don't remember if we talked about what you thought about Talk To Me on the podcast before, but um, what are your memories of it or what are your um, thoughts about it now? So the two points that I would love to bring up is that one, this
1: was just such an exciting surprise for me because it it feels very, very fresh. And it also feels like, um, I mean, the the directors, one of their first like professional film jobs is that they crewed on The Babadook. And I feel like this like we we talk about you know people who grew up watching like John Carpenter movies and slasher films all the time and we can see how that is reflected in their work and I feel like we are starting to see kind of this new generation of horror where they didn't necessarily grow up on kind of the like splatter era of the 80s or like the slasher resurgence of the 90s but even like these weird psychological nightmares that we started getting towards the 2000s and 2010s Mm -hmm. and that feels reflected in this movie like very much to me um, and I think that's really, really interesting because like you said you know that that like limbo place that he's kind of in it feels so grounded and like that's what makes it scarier to me because I can effectively imagine this place yeah. which is very scary to me. Um, but the other thing is I have fallen down rabbit holes uh, watching them do interviews. And they like, I know they like got their start on YouTube, and I think people have a tendency to look down upon YouTubers or people who get their start kind of online, but. I think we're getting to this point where we're recognizing that, like, just being, like, an internet person or a YouTuber doesn't necessarily mean that you're not capable or that you're not talented um, because they have very clearly shown that they know how to make a movie. Like, I'm very excited for what the sequel will look like Mm -hmm. now that they've kind of got this feature uh, out of their system. But every interview, like, they are so likable and they are just so excited that people like their movie and it's infectious and it makes me root for them. And it makes me like want to follow their careers because there's just no like phoniness about them. There's no pretension about them. They're just like, Hey, if you like our movie, that's cool. If you don't like our movie, that's cool too. Hopefully you'll like the next one. And it's like, Whoa, (laughs) I like this energy you're bringing. (laughs) Yeah. I
0: think you shared, um, an interview clip in our Slack channel of them talking about like, Hey, do you believe that? Like, um, you know, we we got to meet Jordan Peele and Ari Aster. They're like totally like right. fanboying out over like these other, you know, sort of modern horror figures who they clearly look up to, and they're just kind of like, we can't believe that like we're in the same conversation with these guys now, and this is so cool. Um, yeah, so. like it
1: just it's really cool to see people you know love this genre so much but it feels like we're really starting to roll the ball into like what horror like what the future of horror will be and how it you know the, the the big ips are you know still making lots and lots of money but this is like such an original horror film and it's been like it's been honestly since jordan peele and since ari aster where we've been getting these like massively popular original horror movies that people can't stop talking about. And, um, I don't know. That's just, that is something we're celebrating.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think the point you made too about, about like the YouTuber aspect is a good one because like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer ago, even since YouTube's been around since what, 2005, I think is when it started maybe 2006. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the idea of what a YouTuber, uh, is like you can use that as a shorthand even still today and it you kind of like an image pops into your mind of like what that means but mm-hmm. the platform has grown in such uh, dynamic ways over the past 15 years that it's not necessarily um you know a dirty dirty word or like a dirty term or something anymore uh when applied to um you know people who create stuff for the internet it, it's not like everybody it's not as um as uniform as it once was, you know, I feel like everybody was doing the same kind of thing that was popular, you know, all popular YouTubers were kind of the same for a little while. And now it's like splintered off into so many different directions. While some of the, some of the cadences and rhythms and editing styles and some of the, the aesthetics are, are the same. Um, it just feels so much more splintered now. And, and Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, it just, it, it doesn't feel as, um, as much of a, I don't know, a dunk or a put down or something to right. to talk to somebody who has come from that world because uh, it's, it's spread out to so many different things. It means so much more now than it used to. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, anyway. Okay. So that's great. Uh, so, Talk to me. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about the sequel as well. Uh, I also had the chance to watch 65, which is streaming right now on Netflix. This is the movie that came out uh, earlier this year. And I don't think it did particularly well. Uh, It stars um, Adam Driver and Ariana Greenblatt. And this is the one that is set 65 million years ago. Uh, I know Ryan Scott was a big fan of this movie or was very much looking forward to it. Um, And I found this movie to be like, fine like you know it's it's a it's the type of mid-budget movie that you don't really see very much anymore that the type that we are always like wishing that hollywood would make more of i think it had like a 45 million dollar budget or something uh and it's just like a very sturdy uh little sci-fi dinosaur thriller where adam driver crashes on a uh on what we just dis- soon discover is earth 65 million years ago. And there's a young girl that he has to protect and they don't s- speak the same language. So there's a language barrier and it's, it's just the two of them trying to survive and get to an escape ship that has like broken off from their main uh, ship and like traverse a long stretch where there's a bunch of danger and dinosaurs in between. And it's, it's a very simple movie. Um, it's, you know, e- nothing new really happens in this. It's very predictable in ways, but it's also like really effective for what it is. And I, I kind of like appreciated the simplicity of it and the execution of it while I was watching it. And it's one of those movies that just kind of like, it just works, you know, it's it's not um, necessarily like, redefining anything or doing anything like super new. Uh, but it, I just thought it was like very effective for what it was. So, um, it's, you know, I don't think it's going to be on my top 10 movies of of 2023 or anything like that, but I just wanted to give a shout out to it because I think, uh, there's a place for, you know, movies like this, the, the, some movies like this used to make up a majority of the movies that, (laughs) that were out instead of being, you know, the, um, the outliers of like, Oh, they don't really make them like this anymore. They used to make almost nothing but that for a long, long time. So, uh, I'm glad that this movie exists and, um, I wish it did better because I think there'd be cool opportunities to, to dive back into this world or whatever. But, um, Scott Beck and Brian Woods or the writers and directors, they, uh, co-wrote a quiet place. The first A quiet place movie. Um, So yeah, I I thought uh, Driver was great and Ariana Greenblatt did uh, a lot with very little not being able to speak English in the movie. Um, And uh, there's a pretty gnarly moment with uh, a T-Rex late in the movie where (laughs) the movie just kind of like, goes hard and it didn't have to be that gross and I appreciated that it that it went there. Um, did you see 65 yet?
1: Oh yeah, so I saw 65 very early because I did our interviews with oh, yes, uh, and right. Woods. And I remember watching it and then I immediately went on Slack and I was like this movie is being so mismarketed. This is like such a like simple fun ridiculous kind of movie that you know like you said we complain about not having enough of and I am such an easy mark for something like this like you give me space guns and dinosaurs I'm happy like I don't (laughs) care about anything else but the fact that they actually do put forth the effort like they came up with the language that uh, Ariana Greenblatt so for those who don't know her by name she's also the the daughter in Barbie. So like this, she had a big year <laughs> between mm-hmm. these two films, um, but they invented a language for her, which I think is really cool. Um, and I, I, I love that we have a movie that is like, you know what, I understand that Jurassic Park has a stranglehold on dinosaurs, but that doesn't mean we can't also have dinosaurs. The more dinosaurs, the merrier, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, and it actually doesn't feel like... I I was worried about that uh, aspect of it in that like the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies have done so much to define the idea of what dinosaurs look like in our cultural consciousness that Mm -hmm. I was worried that this movie might because of its sort of middle budget or whatever, might um, just look really dodgy with the CG and like not be able to stand up to that stuff. And of course, it doesn't stand up to like the practical aspects of the original Jurassic Park, because mm-hmm. those dinosaur Nothing aspects. Can. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was just like a once in a lifetime thing. And even the Jurassic World movies don't hold up to that now. Um, but I thought that the dino stuff generally looked pretty good. It wasn't like, I, I caught a few minutes of um, the Idris Elba movie Beast on, on TV. While <laughs> I also we were...
1: love that weird okay. movie.
0: <laughs> so I, I did not watch the whole thing. I probably only watched like 15 minutes or something in the hotel room while we were on vacation. And there's a moment where I think it's Sharlto Copley's character. Uh, or is it Copley or Copley? I don't remember how to pronounce that guy's name. Anyway, uh, he like, you know, walks out into the Sahara and like puts his arm around a lion. And it just looks... Awful! Like the, the CG is mm-hmm. terrible. Like it's so mm-hmm. clear that he's not even putting his arm around anything. It's it's all just um. Uh, it looks really really crappy. And that I is a stand
1: in a green suit, hoping that no one ever <laughs> sees their face.
0: Yeah yeah exactly. Um. So sixty five has none of that. It actually like all of the dinosaur stuff actually looks pretty good. I think so, and especially mm-hmm. the the moment that I'm alluding to at the end, which is like the the big oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to give it away. It's like genuinely scary,
1: it. which I think is cool because like be, like it, it's so hard not to do the comparisons to Jurassic Park but the first Jurassic Park movie I think is genuinely scary at times and then moving forward it like they very much lean into like this is fun and we get excited to see the dinosaurs just kind of yeah. wreck stuff uh the dinosaurs in 65 are really scary
0: <laughs> yes definitely um so yeah check that out it's streaming on Netflix right now if you're interested and then I also started watching Only Murders in the Building season three uh I'm three episodes in right now I think three episodes are all that are out right now so I'm, I'm caught up and uh, Meryl Streep is in the season. Paul Rudd is in the season. Are you watching this show, BJ?
1: I'm so behind, but I saw the image of the th- like the the core three doing like a Fosse number, and I was like, all mm-hmm. right, I got to catch up.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's in the first episode of the season. Oh, and, good. Uh, yeah, there's definitely like some musical elements going on here. Um, and uh, Pasic and Paul Ben Benji Pasic and um. Uh, shoot, I don't remember, Pasek <laughs> and Paul, let's just leave it at that. They're the uh, the songwriting duo who worked on things like The Greatest Showman and La La Land. They, I think, worked as, uh, I want to say, as like executive producers or in some sort of producing capacity. And I think they were responsible for a lot of the music in this season. And there's a moment, especially in the third episode, where um, Meryl Streep's character gets to sing a song that is clearly written by them and it is just a uh, like a <laughs> an elevation uh beyond what anything the show has done yet in terms of like emotionality and just like uh putting you know its best best foot forward and crafting exactly what it's trying to in that moment so um really really good stuff there and uh yeah Pace and Paul like you know say what you will about some of the the uh maybe goofiness or, or sort of like a heartfelt earnestness or maybe over the topness of some of the things that they've written but like it's really, really effective when it works. And, um, and it so far in Only Merged in the Building Season 3, it just really, really works. So uh, that is streaming on Hulu if you want to check that out. Um, what have you been watching, BJ?
1: So uh, to celebrate not dying of COVID, I've just been kind of living at Vidiots in Los Angeles. If you've not been yet, you you got to go because it's, you know, repertory theater, also a video store. And so all of the things I watched have been because of Vidiots. Uh The first one was uh, last weekend, Pluto TV sponsored a free weekend of movies. So they bought out the theater for three day like for 2 days 3 movies each day and because Pluto TV is a free app uh everybody who reserved tickets got to see the movies for free which was nice. really cool i also now have a Pluto TV uh beach blanket which Okay, sure. (laughs) Um, But the one that I saw that I was really, really excited about was I finally got to see Attack the Block on the big screen, which is a movie I absolutely love but have never seen theatrically because I didn't see it when it was at festivals, so I didn't see it until it hit streaming. And that movie – is it just rules everything about the writing is good the aliens are good john boyega is so compelling and watching it in a theater of people just losing their minds was so much fun (laughs) i
0: i had the opportunity i was living in la at the time when attack the block first came out and i that movie got a very very small theatrical release if memory serves and i had the chance to see it uh on the big screen when it first came out and it was like one of my favorite theatrical experiences for a long long time so cool to see it on the big screen so if anybody has that opportunity, definitely take advantage definitely. of it. It was and, also really
1: um, cool because, like, obviously John Boyega has gone on to do, like, Star Wars, but there were people who had never seen it before and did know Jodie Whittaker was in it, and they're like, oh, Doctor Who's in this? Yes. And it's like, yeah, she is.
0: Yeah, that movie, man, such a great magic trick that that film pulls where, like, you really hate those characters in the very beginning because you're right. very much on Jodie Whittaker's side. I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie do a 180 quite like that, where it's designed to get you to feel so you know like one way all the way on one end of the spectrum to these characters in the very beginning and then just like slowly as the movie goes on by the end you're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum it's it's such a great piece of screenwriting as well as all the like the cool um, alien design and all that stuff too so uh, attack the block just as great yeah. as it's always been that's yeah, awesome to
1: just hear. perfect uh, the other one that I saw theatrically was I finally got to knock off a John Waters bucket list item and I finally got to see polyester with Odorama um, if you don't know what Odorama Rama is uh this was John Waters kind of paying homage to William Castle and how he used to do all of his weird gimmick theaters um so you would get a scratch and sniff card and during certain parts of the movie you would smell the card and it would be things like oh it's roses how nice and then it would be like skunk and dirty shoes and just <laughs> garbage and bad alcohol um and it was such a delight to finally be able to do that and also any John Waters movie in a theater is something you want to do at some point because the experience is always good. It's like an unintentional rowdy screening. Like you can't avoid it. It's always going to be wild. Um, (laughs) But it was so cool just getting to do that and watch Divine be Divine and be great. Watch Tab Hunter be Tab Hunter and be great. And then also have a scratch and sniff card and feel like you're involved in, in the movie. Like, Sure, 40X exists, but also Odorama.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a whole different type of immersion. (laughs)
1: Uh, Okay,
0: what else have you been watching?
1: Um, (laughs) So, and then this other one, this was a a rental from the video store. Um, One of my favorite things, ironically, of course, is the actor-filmmaker Vincent Gallo's website. It is one of the most unhinged things I've ever read. If you are not familiar, please... Go to Vincent Gallo's website. I think it's just like VincentGallo.com. Read his like, (laughs) go to his merch page where you can spend like $100,000 and uh, have a night with him. But there's requirements like you can't be a redhead or a fat chick. Like it's so (laughs) crazy. Um, So I have been talking about him for many years with my wife and she's like, I don't know who this guy is. I've never seen any of his movies. And I was like, look, I'm not going to have you watch the Brown Bunny where there's like weird on like simulated sex stuff like we're not gonna go there i was like but we can watch buffalo 66 and you know we'll talk about christina ricci and we'll talk about angelica houston and just vincent gallo who it just cinematically presented the equivalent of someone just smelling their own farts for two hours <laughs> um i hadn't watched it since college and re-watching it i was like yep this is still a vincent gallo movie where he is just he needs you to know how smart he is how much of a deep artiste he is meanwhile christina ricci is stealing the movie from underneath him at every moment because she's phenomenal
0: so you uh you you shined the light on Vincent Gallo's website and our slack channel earlier i I was completely unfamiliar with this and and really with Gallo as a figure I mean I think I've seen him as an actor in a couple things, but mm-hmm. I had no idea of like what his uh you know reputation was or anything like that and reading his website was a an eye opening <laughs> experience let's put it that way it so is, um,
1: it is an adventure. <laughs> like um, I need people to understand that like my laughter is at the absurdity and the audacity of the oh, things yeah. that he says. Like this is not, oh, I think he's clever. This is me being like this guy. Yeah, okay. it's almost like,
0: <laughs> can you believe that this exists kind of thing? Like, can you yes, believe that anyone is. would seemingly with a straight face write the stuff that's written on this website? It's, it's totally. really yeah, wild stuff. Totally. Um it- because of that, BJ, I I'm like, I don't really know much about his filmography. So this movie, Buffalo 66, I don't even know what it's about. What's what's the like two okay. sentence pitch of it?
1: Um <laughs> uh, Uh, So it is, uh, he is a a guy named Billy Brown. He just did like five years in prison, but no one in his family knows he went to prison. He just went to prison. And I think they just think that he, he was, he was gone. Um, He then uh, kidnaps uh, Christina Ricci from a tap dancing class and says, you need to pretend to be my wife and gives her this new name. And the new name is of this girl that he does know in real life, played by Rosanna Arquette. um, And, it's like a crime drama. It's very depressing. It is a it's an indie film that people did really like when it came out. I do, I do want to say that people really really liked it. Um, it is kind of impressive for like a like a micro budget indie film. But once you know that like oh Vincent Gallo is not acting in this he's just this weird guy who's. <laughs> playing someone who thinks it's totally acceptable to kidnap a girl from dance class and be like, be my wife and pretend to be my wife to my parents or I'll kill you. And it's like, okay, sure. And like, weirdly she develops like an affinity for him. Like it is Madness, absolute madness.
0: Yeah, this definitely sounds to me like a uh like a post-Tarantino like did this come out in the nineties? Oh, it sounds like a ninety movie. Yeah, okay.
1: this came out in ninety-eight. Um, it gets its name uh from like the Buffalo Bills football team who hadn't won Uh, Like, they haven't won anything, I think, since, like, 1965, and they lost in 66. Like, there was, like, a field goal that was bad. Like, my brain kind of glosses over sports knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing that I, like, like to promote the most to people is that the – performance Angelica Houston gives as his mother is so outside of what she normally plays because Angelica Houston has such striking features. I mean, she's Morticia Adams. So she plays a lot of roles like that. She is like such a sweet Midwest mom who cares about her family in this. And she's got this like fire engine, like cheaply box dyed red hair the way that, you know, some Midwest moms do when they're trying (laughs) to show that they're fun. It's just such a nice turn for her because it's just not what she normally does. Um, There are some scenes in it that are like genuinely mesmerizing to watch. There's a a tap number that Christina Ricci does in a bowling alley and it's like very dreamlike and it's like there are moments where it's like I get why people were so into this, but once you read Vincent Gallo's website, anything you rewatch, you're like, oh, this guy. Okay,
0: yeah, it's uh, it, it colors your perception of everything that he's yeah. I it's mean, it it's impossible.
1: To. It's impossible not to. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And it, another fun thing, if anyone's ever wanting to go down a Vincent Gallo rabbit hole, he once got in a public feud with Roger Ebert. Um, And it's very funny. There's clips online of them, you know, disparaging each other in interviews, talking to the press. Uh, good stuff. Good
0: stuff. Okay. All right. Yeah, that sounds like a great rabbit hole. Uh, okay, let's get into what we've been eating. What have you been eating recently?
1: So, okay. Do you know what girl dinner is, Ben? (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, vaguely. Like just the idea of, you know, just kind of like nibbling on crackers like a a small rabbit or something and just like pulling little, you know, whatever you have out of the the fridge and just kind of, uh, eating for hours on end instead of like having like a real meal. Am I getting that right? Yes.
1: Yeah. So that's basically what girl dinner is where it's basically like you just, I have iced coffee and also these saltines and a handful of grapes. That's girl dinner. Um, and you know, there's plenty of discourse out there about how there's, that's also problematic because it can lead to disordered eating that that's a whole thing. Um, I am the opposite of girl dinner because everything that I've been seeing is people normalizing, like not actually eating food and i'm like no i'm i'm not that so i have been uh making like full meals as much as possible lately of this is you know this is my meat this is my vegetable this is my grain this is my fruit i'm even gonna have dessert later like just (laughs) i i don't know just i got my tiktok for you page was just covered with people being like this is my girl dinner it's my medication and a gatorade and i'm like No, I refuse. (laughs) So So, so
0: you were really like spawned to do the opposite of this trend. Like this trend, you you wouldn't maybe be eating the the meals that you're eating right now if not for the girl dinner trend?
1: Yes, I would be eating like Taco Bell and ordering pizza or like randomly eating like a leftover can of – Beefaroni because I don't want to go grocery <laughs> shopping. Like I would be absolutely eating something nonsensical. But because this has become such a trend, I'm like, no, actively not doing that.
0: I appreciate that. That's that's the kind of like pettiness that I appreciate because like no one is benefiting from this. No one is like learning anything right. from the the thing that you're doing here. This is just you trying to like uh you know shake yeah. your fist at the sky and like teach the world a lesson by just housing meals, which I love. Yes. That's a great. And thing.
1: I'm also like I'm not recording it. I'm not making TikToks. I'm not. Not like doing some, this, some like public <laughs> activism. This is just me personally in my house being like, well, I guess I'm going to make an entire meal even though I'm by myself because my wife is at work. So it's just going to be me eating this.
0: <laughs> uh, well, hashtag goals. BJ, hashtag goals. That's great stuff. <laughs> uh, okay. What have you been playing recently? Let's wrap this thing up.
1: Uh, Neo Pets is coming back. Uh, if you are worried that your pets have been starving since 2005, they are still alive, I promise. Uh, but the people who own neopets Pets, uh, they sold their company and people are bringing back the games. And they recently brought back 50 of their games that have not been available to play for like a decade because nobody has like Flash on their computers anymore. <laughs> um, and so I have been playing Neopets games again.
0: Is like this basically I'm twelve. Like, like a like a computer equivalent of like a Tamagotchi kind of thing. Is that? Oh my gosh, Ben, do you not know what neopets are? No, I don't think I do. Or okay. if I did, I I've forgotten.
1: Okay, so NeoPets were really big in the two thousand late late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, you would get like your little pet. You could feed your pet. There were games. There's different like worlds that you can visit that are themed. Like one world is like fair like fairies. One is dinosaurs. Uh, one is like a haunted graveyard. Uh, there's a pirate island. Like there's all these different things, and you can go to different worlds, and you can you know have shops, and you can have little Neo houses, and it it, it kind of feels like it's a community as well there's like message boards like it was kind of my life when i was a kid i was really really into neopets um and everybody just kind of forgot about it once the the game started going away because they didn't update the servers to match you know with evolving technology so the fact that it's coming back is like a really big deal so now a lot of like millennials of a certain age are trying to get back into their neopets accounts that they haven't used since they were in junior high school wow um and i was very excited because i have a Corbat, which is a bat. Her name is Sue Spiria because I have been a monster kid my whole life. Um, <laughs> and I was very stoked to see her. And I've been playing all of the the games, and they're all like browser games, and some of them are genuinely really hard, but they have games that are puzzle-based, uh, so ones that feel very much like, like a Sudoku type games. There are some that are skill-based, some that are luck-based. Uh, like they have versions of like snake and every like, but it's all within the world of Neopets. Um, it's very fun, very addictive and i'm very excited to see that a new company is bringing it back to life and it doesn't have to require everybody to start over everything that you like i opened my like neopets bank account with like all of my neo coins in it and i was like oh i've collected a decades worth of interest this is cool wow. <laughs> i can have whatever i want
0: man that is uh that is a level of um I don't know what like a level of detail that I did not expect for uh, you know something that I really knew nothing about it's extremely
1: um, involved and I'm not gonna say who it is but I do know that one of the slash film writers also plays neopets and we are neopals on it and we send each other gifts
0: (laughs) amazing okay well uh yeah maybe our our listeners will um you know go down that nostalgia rabbit hole and, uh, and join everyone in like the giant Neopet server in the sky or whatever. um, (laughs) Excellent. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for today's show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slash film.com and linked inside the show notes for the episode. The slash film show is published two times a week, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into random stuff like Neopets and uh, the great features that you can find on slashfilm.com. You can subscribe to this show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link to do that in the show notes. You can send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at film.com. Make sure to leave your name and general, ge- general geographic location in case we mentioned your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week.
2: Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Is your wallet a little lighter than usual after the holiday season? Consider it money well spent because you deserve to live your best life, and the Chime Checking account wants to help you live yours to the fullest. A little extra money goes a long way, which is why the Chime checking account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and access to over 60,000 easy-to-find and fee-free ATMs. You even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go, including sending and receiving money fee-free with friends that aren't even on Chime. Sign up for Chime today for you and your wallet. Get started at Chime.com slash Goals24. That's Chime.com slash Goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A., members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply.